Hi, everyone. How are you? My name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So good to be with you. Welcome to a new year. And actually, today's topic is the radical decision every leader must make in 2024. The one radical decision every leader must make in 2024. So in one, in one phrase, here is a decision. It is to radically align yourself to God's purpose and your particular place within that purpose. Uh, now, again, you've got a unique, unrepeatable role to play in what God's doing in the world today. And our the God's invitation to us is to embrace that. So today, I want to unpack that. Now, listen, we're living in a, a world uh, where the church and the world around us is going through uh, tremendous changes. I mean, we've got from upheavals in political instability, in wars, and post-pandemic realities, uh, scandals. We've got uh, demands and pressures on us as leaders, uh, like I've not seen, at least in my lifetime, uh, a secular culture that's putting pressure on the people that we're leading. uh, That's really unique, uh, and again, greater than I've seen in my lifetime, and everything from the nature of gender, sexuality, marriage, uh, racism, the poor, how do I deal with political polarizations going on in my church, artificial intelligence, just so many things to learn, address, and address uh, theologically for the sake of our people. And it can be very overwhelming. And so today I want to really address this issue of the radical decision every leader must make. And uh, what does that radical alignment look like and not look like? And then I want to bring three invitations, uh, which I believe are from God, for us today as we go into the new year in order to radically align or realign ourselves to what God's doing. So, But before we launch, let me make an invitation to you as we're launching into a new year here. Uh, It's January, and I want to invite you to do something which uh, I encourage pastors and leaders to do all around the world, and which is to retake or to take for the first time what we call uh, the emotionally healthy personal assessment. And what that is, is it's a way to, of getting a, a checklist of how am I, wh- uh, kind of an inventory of where am I in my being over and against my doing for God, in my embracing of limits, of my uh, breaking the power of the past in my life, of living out of vulner- vulnerability and brokenness, uh, things like integrating treasures of grief and loss, etc. And looks at seven areas which need to be aligned uh, under Jesus. Uh, it's a gr- And what does an emotionally and spiritually mature adult look like uh, for me? And so, let me encourage you to take that 15-minute test. It's, it's, got, it's go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash personal assessment. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash personal assessment. And uh, uh, I encourage people to do it every year. And I watch myself in these seven areas that you'll look at uh, really pretty much uh, daily, weekly in my own life. Okay, so what does radical alignment look like? If that's God's invitation. Well, we can look at Jesus who radically aligned his life to the Father's will for him. He did not follow his own agenda, but uh, he wanted to fulfill God's purpose for his unique life on his on earth. Mary, his mother, radically aligned her life to the purposes of God, and her aim was not to follow her agenda, and so, but was to fulfill God's purpose for her uh, as the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon and Anna in the book of Luke also radically aligned their lives 
uh, and did not follow their own agenda. And we see that in, in Anna, for example, in 80, at 84 years old, she's praying and fasting in the temple. That was her life. But she bears witness to Jesus as she sees that baby Jesus come in the temple. And she does not follow her own agenda, even for her prayer life, but she fulfills God's purpose for her. And we know her to this day for what she's done. Think of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, radically aligned her life, realigned her life to the purposes of God and did not follow her own agenda, but had a baby late in life. That would be John the Baptist. And Zachariah, the same thing, even though he hesitated her husband uh, and uh, could not speak for a while, he radically aligned his life as well to God's aim for him. We can look at John the Baptist, same thing, radically aligning his life to the Father for him and did not follow his own aims and desires. And actually, the entire New Testament, the Gospels, we see the 12 disciples, or at least 11 of them, struggling to align their lives radically to what God was doing in Jesus. And we see Jesus shaping them and forming them. We see them struggling and wrestling to align themselves radically to this new thing God was doing uh, in their day, and they struggle. I mean, they they were thorny soil, getting getting knocked off by testing. They were uh, rocky soil. Uh, they they struggled with cares of the world, worries, etc., riches, uh, and they eventually became good soil. At least eleven of them. And I I relate to that journey to radically align my life to Jesus. Uh, it, it is it's a process, and I've made many mistakes along the way. And it is my number one aim as I go into 2024 as well, and I trust it'll be yours. So each of us have had to, uh, we need to leave ways that we've been formed and shaped and taught actually to lead in the past uh, as followers of Christ. And what does it look like for us to reorient our entire lives uh, around Jesus and what he's doing and wants to do in and through us? And what does it look like to, in a sense, set aside things that may have worked in the past for us and to embrace new things that God wants to do in and and through us and surrendering to God's purpose. That's what radical alignment means uh, and saying yes to our unique place in what God's doing. And so it's really repentance. I mean, it's really turning around constantly daily uh, to God. Could you imagine if John the Baptist did not want to radically align his purpose uh, align his life to what God was doing. Uh, imagine if he said, you know what? I, I don't I don't want to live in a desert and wear this strange clothing, uh, not get married. I don't want to have just a six-month ministry or three to six-month ministry. I want to have a three-year ministry like Jesus is going to have or a 50-year, 40-year ministry like Isaiah and Jeremiah had. I want to have a long ministry. Uh, you know what? I'd like to dress differently. I'd like to have a little comfort. You know, Jesus is going to eat with wealthy people. I'm here in the desert. You know, I don't own anything. Uh, but imagine if he had not radically aligned his life to what the Father wanted to do in and through him. Uh, history would be different today, and, and uh, but he did. And uh, and imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus. The, I mean, she had tremendous cost to her as a teenage girl uh, to say when the angel comes to her and says, you're going to give birth, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, is going to be born in you as a virgin. The cost to her was was massive. Her whole life was disrupted, much like God consistently disrupts my life, and I'm no doubt he disrupts every one of our lives as we follow him because God's got plans that aren't our plans. But imagine if Mary didn't stay with that radical alignment. I mean, we constantly see her in situations where she doesn't know what's going on. I mean, Jesus at 12 years old, staying behind the temple, but it uses this phrase, she treasured in her heart or she ponders in her heart uh, what's happening. She doesn't fully grasp it, but she's able to say, I'm the Lord's servant. 
you know, it may have beaten me as you have said. And so we're all faced with seductions and temptations to not reorient our lives around what God wants, God's purpose and what he wants to do in and through us. And we see that in the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Uh, and it really is amazing to, to do a, a good study of the religious leaders of, of that day, of the first century, because I relate to all of them. I, I get it. Uh, it's the same struggle we get, we have today to not radically realign ourselves uh, to uh, God's purposes. And it says in actually Luke 7, that the Pharisees and experts in the law, the, the, the legal scholars in scripture, it says they rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So it's very clear. It says they, they rejected God's purpose for themselves. And really there's three reasons given at least, at least in Luke about that Jesus identifies of why they rejected God's purpose for themselves. And it's, I tell you, it's, it's the same temptations we face today. I mean, first of all, it says they were concerned about their own self-promotion. And Jesus says to them, woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and to be, and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Uh, in other words, they, they love to be seen as uh, people of honor. Uh, they love to have influence and followers. And we would say today to be on social media and, and to be known, not that social media is bad, but they were concerned about what other people thought. Everything it says in Matthew, everything they do is for people to see. So that desire to self-promote or to be seen as somebody who is whatever, great or uh, godly, uh, kept them from God's purpose because they didn't do some of the radical invitations God was inviting them to do. Uh, but secondly, it says they, they also gave in to finding their security in money and wealth. And Jesus accuses them of greedy, he says, for of loving money uh, and, and missing God's purpose. And, and again, wealth and, is a temptation for all of us or money to find security apart from God, to have a sense of security and prestige actually apart from God. And, and they sneered at Jesus, it says, because they loved money. Uh, and Jesus says to them, you justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. And then God, he says to them, what, pe what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And he's referring there about money. Uh, and so we're invited to put our security in God alone. And so we, and we want to be careful, it's so tempting to make decisions for the sake of earthly security or earthly money. Uh, and we end up getting out of the radical alignment God's inviting us to in terms of his purpose for us. But a third problem with the Pharisees was uh, they, they, they knew scripture, but they were misdirected in their pursuit of being faithful to scripture and they didn't they were insufficiently scriptural they they like certain scriptures but they missed others and jesus pointed it out to them you know you love tithing uh but you miss justice and mercy and love of god uh they they had molded scripture in a sense to their purpose not god's purpose and jesus said beware of the yeast of the pharisees he says to all of us it's you can't see it initially but but we can easily get seduced off of the core of scripture by other scripture. And they had a fun, the Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus, they had a fundamentally different purpose of God, what he was doing in the world. And they, their vision was everyone's coming to Jerusalem, to the temple. Uh, we, are, we are basically caretakers of what's holy and not holy. And, uh, you know, they, this idea of the temple being the place we're going out to the whole world, then they wanted the whole world to come to Jerusalem. That's where they got their identity from. They were the legal scholars of scripture. They determined what was holy, what was not holy. 
they, they had a whole concept of holiness, Jew over Gentile, male over female, clean versus unclean. And uh, they had a power structure and they were on top of the power structure. They made their money out of the temple. For them to radically align themselves to, to Jesus would have required surrendering their whole understanding of the temple and their position, their economics, their power. I mean, there was no way they were going to go out to John the Baptist in the desert who hadn't even been to rabbinical seminary uh, and get baptized in front of all those people in such a place of humility. Uh, there was no way. It was, it was asking too much for them. And uh, they were measuring the wrong things like cleaning hands. And so uh, it's interesting because we see the devil offering Jesus uh, basically seducing them to get off of being aligned radically to God's purpose uh, in the temptations in the wilderness. And, and those are the same temptations that come to me and come to you basically every day. I mean, they're constantly coming to us uh, when he tells Jesus, turn these stones to bread. Uh, he's encouraging Jesus to use his power to meet his own needs, again, for his own purposes, not the purposes of God. Uh, when he tells him to jump down from the temple, he says, God will catch you. Uh, he's inviting Jesus to use his power you know, inappropriately and avoid suffering and death uh, versus God's plan coming through suffering and death. I mean, I get that too, get, get popular quick. And then the final temptation is about uh, basically quick success. You know, just bow to me for a minute and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And basically the, he, the devil offers Jesus a shabby substitute for real success. And, but Jesus discerns correctly, like, no, 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 uh, that the father has a purpose for him in his three-year ministry. Uh, and there are these counterfeits coming to him. Well, there's counterfeits that come to you and counterfeits that come to me as well. And so I want to spend the rest of our time here talking about basically the th invitations of how do we radically align ourselves uh, as leaders to what God's purpose is for our lives. I'm going to give you three, uh, three invitations. Uh, I'll say them first, uh, and then I'll take each one one by one. The first is deep, slow surrender. Uh, the second is deep, slow prayer. And the third is deep, slow eating of Jesus in scripture. All right, let's take one at a time here because we're so rich. Now, the first is deep, slow surrender. And Mary in Luke 138 models this best where she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And she submits to God's purpose because he's doing something in the world and God's doing something in the world today. Uh, that's wonderful all around the world. And Mary recognizes she has a role in assisting that purpose and joining God in that purpose. And so we too have a role in joining God in that purpose, uh, but it's a radical alignment. I like the word radical, rude. I mean, it's it's deep. It's not always something I want to do. For Mary, this was not an easy, comfortable route. So wherever you're serving today, you may be a parachurch worker, a pastor, uh, a leader in the church, a board member. Uh, maybe you're in a rural, suburban, or urban setting. Maybe you're in you know Africa, Latin America. You're in Europe, North America, uh, Asia, New Zealand, the Mideast. Uh, maybe you're in the marketplace. But wherever God has you, God invites you to a deep and a slow surrender. And it really is every day that I've got to be about this and you've got to be about this. 
Uh, but the problem for most of us is we have thoughts and ideas, and most of us want things to unfold a certain way uh, on a daily basis, and we want certain things not to unfold and happen to us. And uh, we won't feel good unless the world unfolds the way we'd like it to unfold. And so we resist anything we see as negative, and we're clinging to what we think is is the best and what we love. And But you see, if you're clinging or resisting certain things that God may want to do, uh, basically it's over. And I use my spiritual practices to get what I want and to make sure I don't get what I don't want. Um, and God's invitation, it's surrender. It is it is a deep, and I'm using the word slow, surrender. Uh, I love Meister Eckhart from the uh, 1300s who uh, said to be empty, we're to be empty of all created things we're, so that we can be full of God. We lose our lives or we might find them. But it's it's loving detachment. It's, it's letting go. It's it's. I need silence and solitude for that. So even, for example, recently, I, I, I found myself a, a lot of energy going out of me. And I would say I said yes to quickly to a couple of things. And I was feeling resentful because uh, I was, in a sense, giving something I didn't possess. And I had to, I, I you know, as I got to God, I realized, oh, God, eat radically realign. And my slow surrender was, you know, I need greater time alone uh, with God in some silence and solitude to get replenished, to get centered, to get anchored, and to listen afresh to limits and priorities that he has for me in this season. uh, So I can give clean leadership and and, uh, clear leadership, good leadership, but it takes a high level of differentiation. uh, And is deep, slow surrender. It's challenging. And uh, so we need consistent retraining in in missing pieces in our own formation so we can be growing. That's why we're so committed to a monastic, slow down spirituality with emotional health that are the missing pieces in our, so many of our formation as leaders. So let me invite you here to uh, our spring semester of the School of Emotionally Healthy Leadership for pastors and leaders. Uh, it's for denominational leaders, pastors, movement leaders, and it's through Zoom, so it takes place uh, around the world. Uh, it's a two-semester leadership course, uh, fall and spring. We don't want you just to hear about EH discipleship. We want you to live it so that you can give away what you possess. The state you are in is the state you give to other people. So I want to invite you to consider applying. You have to apply this very limited space uh, to be a part of the school. I lead it uh, uh, along with you know many other table leaders, etc. cetera. Uh, there's limited space. You apply. If accepted, then you can register and get in. But our goals is that you'll slow down your life for silence, stillness, and solitude and Sabbath to be with God, uh, you'll get in touch with your vulnerabilities out of your history, and you'll lead out of them, uh, out of your brokenness, and begin to form leaders out of that as well, that you'll learn some very critical ways to build healthy community. We call them emotionally healthy relationship skills from stop mind reading to clean fighting. So you can train and disciple mature men and women in Christ. You'll learn to be present with yourself, to listen to God from the inside out, not just from the outside in. Uh, and you'll learn to begin to mentor leaders in a deep transformative spirituality who can then multiply themselves in discipling other folks. And, and you'll redefine your whole scorecard, your whole leadership scorecard for success. So again, there's a limited space. Let me invite you to go check out the syllabus. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership school. That's emotionallyhealthy.org leadership school. school.
I'm sorry, emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership school. And again, if you're not just in North America, we have uh, tables in this course in Spanish from Latin America, as well as North America in Spanish. We've got fo- tables in Australia, New Zealand, uh, as well as Asia and Europe. Uh, and the United Kingdom. And so, again, we invite you, we call them satellite tables. Just check it out at emotionallyhealthy.org slash school. Check out the syllabus. Look at the application. Pray. If you're hungry and thirsty to grow and change, it's a large commitment. Meets every week for two and a half hours, but well worth your time. Uh, So you can have a deep, slow surrender to Jesus. But the second big invitation from God after deep, slow surrender, is deep, slow prayer. Now, what I mean by that, I'm going to use Jesus as our model. Uh, Prayer, again, is a life. Uh, My whole life, I wanted to be communion with Jesus. But we see in Jesus, he is the intercessor. His life is one of prayer. He's a praying Messiah. And so we see, for example, in Gethsemane, uh, how difficult this invitation is sometimes of deep, slow prayer. I mean, uh, we're all good at praying. I know I'm good at praying when things are going great. I'm, I'm really good. I'm not so great at praying. I don't want to pray when God's doing things and taking me directions. I really don't like. They're painful. Uh, but we see Jesus saying, Father, in Gethsemane, if it is possible, uh if you are willing, remove this cup from me, but not as I will, but as you will. But he's struggling in prayer as he gets guidance. Uh, and it gives us this incredible picture in Gethsemane of you know him falling on his face before God, sweating as if drops of blood, uh, uh, troubled, sorrowful. But what's interesting, he comes out of that prayer time in Gethsemane uh, very composed, masterfully composed. And when he gets arrested, he's calm. He, he's got a real sense of Oh, yes, the, you know, of the Father's will and direction in his life as he heads to the cross. Now, the 12 disciples, well, at least the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were with him, they were sleeping when they, Jesus asked them to pray. They come out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and all their discernment is way off. They misinterpret what God's doing. They don't see God's purpose. And as you know, Peter pulls out a knife and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Uh, they can't see God in the decline of the ministry. They can't see God's hand and purpose in the diminishment of the ministry of being, you know, basically Jesus going to the cross and it being the hour of darkness. Uh, they didn't pray. They didn't do the slow, deep work of prayer, of deep communion with the Father. Uh, and as a result, they're agitated and they're confused. Uh, and they misconstrue the unfolding of events. Isn't that so much like us? (laughs) We just misconstrue what's happening around us. Uh, But really, that's God's invitation to deep, slow prayer. I know for myself, when I'm rushing, when I'm making quick decisions, when I'm finishing people's sentences, when I'm not present, when I'm giving opinions that I haven't been asked about, when I'm impatient, ah, it's, it's an indication for me that I'm not in alignment It's Jesus walks out again. He comes out of Gethsemane and you look at the account of his arrest and trial and he is so composed. Great, great indication of deep, slow prayer uh, taking effect in one's life. Uh, And when I'm in, I know when I'm in a place of deep, slow prayer that uh, I can handle transitions and endings well. But in prayer, Jesus also, he solidifies his relationship with the Father, and he's able to get 
guidance and power. So we see that, for example, even when he, in his baptism, when heaven's open and, and uh, the father comes from, speaks from heaven and says, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And so he's receiving affirmation and power uh, as he's about to get tested in the wilderness, but he gets that in prayer. Uh, the same thing with in, in prayer, he gets discernment, he prays all night and he discerns uh, the Father's will. I mean, he's able to choose the 12 disciples after a night of prayer. In fact, that one account in, in Luke, he's super popular, crowds are coming and it says, uh, he realizes that popularity is threatening God's purpose for him and he pulls away, it can sidetrack him from God's purpose for him and his mission. And so it says he withdrew often to lonely places or desolate places and prayed. Luke 5, 16. In other words, he had to stay radically aligned. And so prayer was critical for him to not be swayed by popularity or crowds. And so God has for you a path. I love the term sealed orders. Uh, it's, it's referred to in, in, you know, in ancient times and history, when a captain of a ship was handed an envelope, in that envelope was a sealed order of where they were to go in that ship, their destination, their, their mission. Well, it's a nice image that God has a sealed order for you in 2024 or whatever year you're listening to this podcast. Uh, and our, we are to ask ourselves, what is this sealed order? Now, just take a moment and just breathe in the love of God. And imagine God speaking to you the words he spoke to Jeremiah uh, before you were you know, ever born. He goes, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, I set you apart. And God has set you apart uh, with a sealed order. And he's handed you an envelope. And so part of our call, even if we don't see the full exact answer, what's in the sealed order, even we see partially or incomplete, our life is one of radically aligning ourselves or realigning, turning to be aligned under, lining up with God's purpose for our lives. You have, just like I have, a particular role that God's inviting you to play within his purpose in the world today, right where you are, which leads to the third point, and that is deep slow in third invitation deep slow in eating of jesus through scripture deep slow eating of jesus through scripture i'm not talking about reading through the bible in a year uh just getting a lot of head knowledge uh, i'm talking about digesting eating the word let it become part of you uh transforming you i Again, I'm thinking things like Lectio Divina, meditation on scripture, chewing on it, praying it back to God, letting God's love come through you, uh, digesting smaller portions, spending a, a you know, taking a, a, a you may read a, a chapter or two chapters, but a, maybe a verse and you stay with that verse for days or weeks and let it become part of you. Jesus' ways are upside down. They're the humble are exalted, the exalted are humble, the big are small, the small is big, the kingdom's a mustard seed. Uh, it's not big and flashy. It's just, as someone said to me recently, a pastor goes, Pete, I realized that I spent all of my life focusing on outside, putting all these external things in place as a leader uh, in building a, a great church. I didn't realize, no, no, I don't lead from the outside in. God's calling me and inviting me to lead from the inside out. That's why our formation is the most important thing that we can do for the people we love and are serving is to, is to continue investing as leaders in our four 
transformation. Again, that's why I invite you to the School of Spiritual uh, Leadership. Western culture is obsessed with external markers, numbers, bigger, better. Uh, whether it's bigger social media influence, whether it's bigger numbers, baptisms, we measure influence and size and our audience. And the logic is simple. If your numbers are going down, you're failing. And again, what's so interesting is Jesus' numbers were sinking quickly in Gethsemane and he was succeeding. Disciples thought he was failing and they started coming out agitated, confused, upset, misunderstanding the whole thing and striving to make things happen. We talk about radically aligning ourselves to God's purpose, everybody. We're talking about a deep, slow surrender. We're talking about deep, slow prayer. And we're talking about a deep, slow eating of Jesus through scripture. And uh, so we, as the church, have, we've taken over measurements of success from the world uh, over the last 50 years. I mean, I, I've been a part of it. And so I've been asked often, how do you measure success, Pete? And I just want to challenge you without going into a large, another podcast about embracing through Jesus and scripture, a whole new leadership scorecard of how do I know if I'm succeeding or not? And, and looking first at the inside internal markers uh, that I'm practicing a slow down spirituality of being with Jesus, silence and stillness and Sabbath. I'm, I'm, I'm regularly surrendering my self-will to God's will, wherever that might lead. I'm trusting and relaxing in him uh, and his love and not trying to manipulate or strive or make things happen uh, inappropriately. I'm being present with people, loving people, seeing them as thou's, not as transactional and get something done. Uh, that I'm listening to Jesus as I make decisions in ministry and leadership. And, and I'm embracing endings and new beginnings that he has for me as his purposes unfold. And I'm leading out of my marriage or singleness as a living sign and wonder of God's passionate love for the world. And, and I'm, I'm leading out of my brokenness, of my history and my stories. And, and I'm very aware of my vulnerabilities. And I actually lead from weakness that his strength might be seen. And I'm constantly monitoring my being and doing it so that I bring that to my team. I bring it to our discernment as a leadership. And so what's the radical decision every leader must make in 2024? It is radical alignment or radical realignment. And God's invitations to you are God's invitations to me, uh, which I'm receiving, which is first, a deep, slow surrender uh, like Mary. Secondly, is a deep, slow prayer life. And thirdly, a deep, slow eating of Jesus in Scripture. So again, let me close by inviting you to the School of Emotionally Healthy Leadership. Learn more about that. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership school. Check that out. Look at the syllabus. It's a large commitment, but life transforming. And secondly, uh, take that leadership uh, assessment, personal assessment. Uh, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash personal assessment and see where you are right now as you start the year. And then you maybe you retake it a year from now and see how you've developed, but get a good sense of where are you today so you can get a sense of where God wants to take you in the future. Again, that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash personal assessment. So my prayer for you as we enter this new year is that you will discern, embrace, and serve the purpose of God in and through your life because it is the place of joy. It is light and easy, and it is a place out of which real fruit flows that actually remains. So blessings to you and have a wonderful, wonderful day.